I'm Arie Schwartz along with Eli Horowitz and welcome to the WNBA Insider Podcast. A six-week deep dive into each WNBA team. This week, we got the LA Sparks and the Chicago Sky. First, for a quick free agency update, the Liberty make some moves and are basically the same team with a new coach. Minnesota Lynx also make a few signings but are still in need of a guard. The Connecticut Suns players have continued to grow overseas, so you got to be excited about that. Looking forward to the next season. Now let's dive in. The Chicago Sky are our first team we're going to cover. Eli, tape on the style. Like we're, we're talking about tape. We're talking about how they run the X's and O's. We've talked about this a lot about different teams and how that's what we want this podcast to be. What have you been looking at kind of as you dove into the Sky? What was the first thing you, you kind of noticed and stuck out to you? So I watched a good amount of clips on both ends of the ball. And what stuck out to me is I got to say um, – I was really impressed just overall with Amber Stocks and the X's and O's and schemes that I'm seeing. Um, defensively, I really like how they guarded the pick and roll. Offensively, I like their transition game. I like the actions they use to get Quigley open for threes. I like how they get Vandersloot space to operate and make plays. So, the, the, my macro take is there's a lot to be excited about, and I think Amber Stocks can really grow into being a great WNBA head coach. Um, however, they do have a lot of personnel weaknesses um, in terms of individual defense. Offensively in the half court, they really struggled, and I think a lot of that has to do with just not having certain personnel. And so I think that's going to be a big thing to really dive into on this podcast is um, what, what's their identity and what's their direction in terms of roster construction? I feel like um, that's the big question. And uh, frankly, it has been for a few years now with just so much turnover on the roster, players demanding trades. Um, they just really haven't had an identity from a roster standpoint. And um, I'm excited to talk to you and kind of get your take on that as well. So it's something very interesting. You know, I've spoken to some players. I've spoken to some WNBA minds. And one of the things that we we discussed at the beginning of last season or in the offseason leading into last season was Amber Stocks wanted to run a very fast-paced offense, a transition offense. And, and in some ways, the Chicago Sky excelled in that last year. That's definitely something that Sky fans can look at and say, hey, this is a positive that we can build on for last year. I think you pointed out the stat to me while we were chatting. Um, they're like one or number one or number two in transition ball, and, and uh, up there with you know our other our other team of this podcast, the the LA Sparks. But that's just something a very positive thing for the team. But something that builds off of uh, the lack of identity is you know you have someone like Steph Dolson who's not a court like she's not pushing the ball up the court. She's not going to be running both sides of the court. Um, and I think that they they knew that that was going to be their type of ball, but I think when you see some of the roster moves that they've done, it kind of leaves you questioning a few things. I I'm trying to figure out how Stephanie Dolson and now Elena Coates truly fit into their identity. Now Dolson is a good three point shooter. She's really good on the pick and pop. She's really good at posting up. So I think she does enough things really well that. Chicago can push the ball with uh, Vandersloot and Quigley. And um, in addition, Kalea Copper is an exciting young guard. 
um, Faulkner, if she's back. So they have – and then they're going to add another guard in the draft most likely. So they're going to have a really explosive backcourt team that can push the ball, shoot, get up and down. Now, Dolson might not be the ideal big to run up and down with them, but I think because she can hit the three, because she's savvy defensively and because – she provides them another element in terms of posting up when they need some half-court offense. I think they can make it work with her. But Coates is what really just – I just can't envision it unless they just really change their half-court identity to throw the ball into her into the post. And maybe maybe it's good to have that kind of duplicity and ability to do that. But um, I don't know. Maybe, what do you think? Does that like just completely alter their identity or is there a world in which they can throw the ball into the, into Dolson and Coates in the low post more and, and just have the other players spot up? I mean, they do have good shooters. So in theory, if those players command a double team, um, they, they should get some open looks. Well, I, I think it's really interesting. A lot of times when you think about, and this kind of just popped into my head while we were chatting, a lot of times when you think about a high-pace offense, someone who's going to push the ball up the court and play this transition ball that they want to play, you often don't think of Dolson as being that stereotypical form for that position. But something very interesting is because she has that pick-and-pop shot that's so quick. Like She has other aspects of her game that are very quick that often are make it so that she is able to play that style of offense, which is great for how she's been able to fit into the sky. And we saw that last year. I think it's interesting that you have a lot of players on this roster that can shoot and a lot of players that can feed the ball. Dolson can feed the ball. Quigley and Slew can feed the ball. I mean, even Cappy, and we'll get to Cappy later, last year before she had her concussion, I mean, she was leading the league in assists, which goes really underrated early on in the season when this team was struggling and had a lot of players playing overseas with overseas commitments. Um, I would like them to kind of decide. This isn't a sport like football where they every time they're coming down the court on basket, uh, like on offense, that they can say, "Okay, this time Dolson go down low. This time, you know, up top." Because I feel like the problem with her is if you keep her down low the whole game, then you're missing out on her explosiveness from beyond the arc. But if you keep her beyond the arc the whole game, you're losing out on offensive and offensive rebounds, which is something that. To win games against top-tier teams, you need offensive rebounds. We saw that in the finals. We saw that time and time again. Yeah, and then that's – I think this season is just going to be fascinating in terms of what does Amber Stocks do on offense? You know, Does she throw out Dolson and Coates together and say, we're going to just pound the ball inside, play a high-low game? You know, Coates is very familiar doing that at South Carolina alongside Asia Wilson. And Stephanie Dolson did that alongside Brianna Stewart. I think the, the difference is, though, think about it. Coates played with Wilson, who's a more athletic, stretchier big, right? And Dolson played with Brianna Stewart, who's also a stretchy big and more mobile. Now you'd have two bigs that I, I think they just, in my opinion, are not an ideal pairing, especially for a team that that guards fit a more running perimeter style. So... I actually think they need to stagger them and bring Coates off the bench. But then it's like Coates was the number two pick in the draft, and you're really going to draft someone number two and have them be a bench player? So I almost have more questions than answers, honestly, after diving into the film. 
Well, I mean, I know you got a lot more questions, but something that I want to pose to you is, I mean, her rookie season's a wash. So we we can we can basically look at it as Chicago having, in so many ways, three top five picks in this draft. If if you like, that's not like the craziest way to look at something. So if we're looking at it like that, to have, you know. Two of those picks get you ten. Like, if all three of those picks are going to move your team in a positive direction, the direction that you want, to me, it doesn't matter if Coates comes off the bench and then they get, you know, two more players. One of them comes off the bench, also, one of them's a starter in this draft. Because to me, I'm looking at the top teams in the league the Lynx, the Sparks, and Connecticut. Those teams have talent on the bench that could start if need be. But they choose, and and a lot of talk about what Atlanta's going to do coming this season is picking a lineup because you have more than five players that can start picking a lineup that gives you the best chance. And sometimes that means, you know, your third or your fourth best player, your fifth best player isn't starting and is going to come off the bench in a second lineup and is still going to get minutes with the starters, but is just more beneficial for the team. Let me ask you this. Do you, from what you've seen on Coates, do you project her to be you know, an all-star level starter, or do you think she might top out at maybe someone like a Jantel Lavender, who's a, a good role player, but but kind of a, a, a you know a, a second unit center with, with some upside? In all honesty, I, I see her in between those two. I could see her getting you know an all an all-star nod. Look, I'm I'm looking at her at let's say she has a 10, 10 season career. Okay. Um, if she's doing that, I could see her getting a couple all-star nods. I don't see her, you know, putting up fights for MVP or like most rebounds in a season, but I think she could definitely be a clog in a wheel that wins championships if she plays to her potential. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I watched a lot of film this morning on her at South Carolina, and it's just hard to tell because she dominated against, you know, college centers and that doesn't really you know, it might it may translate to the next level, but uh, frankly, it's just it's hard to tell because the center she's going up against, like you said, it's um, it's not Brittany Griner, it's not Sylvia Fowle. So we'll have to see. Um, I don't know. I just felt a lot of her moves were just she was so much bigger than the player. She just kind of lunged at them and drew a foul or or made a layup, and that's not going to work against the elite defensive centers in the W. So. I think we just kind of have to see um, how she does against pros. And also, she's just now getting a short stint overseas. So we don't even know how she really – we don't have a sample size to even say in Europe how she's doing against professional athletes. That's very true. And I think that that can't be stated enough because, you know, before – when she was drafted, there was some hope she was going to get in last season. That didn't happen. But there, I think there was still a lot of a lot of question marks because she wasn't, and and hopefully this is a chip on her shoulder that she uses. But there was a lot of question marks because of her injury causing her to be out during the run for the championship. You didn't get a chance to see her in prime time in big games. I mean, we saw that during the season before she got injured, but we didn't see her go against like the top talent that she's going to be facing. You know, in the NCAA tournament. So I think that puts even more question marks in your head. Like the other players from South Carolina that went pro, I think you had this, okay, yeah, they did really good in college. How are they going to do here? 
but you know that they have that big play capability because they performed on the biggest stage in their respective league. You don't have that with her, which I think just adds more questions to our minds. And considering that she was such a high pick, you know, and there was some top talent that went from the draft last year. So you really put a lot of eggs in that basket. Yeah, I mean, getting back to Chicago overall from the tape, like I said, I, you know, they were seventh in offense last year, but second in transition. So they're really good pushing the ball. Vandersloot has incredible court vision. Quigley can knock down shots. Dolson can knock down shots. You know, now they're going to have a much different roster this year because they won't have Breland. They won't have Young. Um, they don't have, you know, Amani Boyette, who they had at the beginning of last year. We, we don't know if they'll have Cappy. Um, but they have Jordan, Jordan uh, Hopper. Is it Hooper or Hopper? She, she's another one that can knock down shots. Hooper. She, she can knock down shots, um, and they're going to, you know, so I just, I guess I'll, my, in, in summation, given that tri- pushing the ball in transition and spreading the floor is kind of their strength, I don't see how Dolson and Coates can really play together um, while sim- simultaneously maximizing Vandersloot um, and Quigley and, and the pace they want to use uh, even with – if they have Faulkner and um, Kalea Copper, um, I just don't see it. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Copper. I, I think this team is underratedly stacked at the guard position and has a lot of upside that we're going to see big stuff come for them. But I, I think the question truly has to be, can they create a paint presence? They had Jessica Breland last year. and you know, But the problem last year was kind of, in, in, in the Breland-Boyette issue was you had one player who was able to run the court much better in Breland but didn't have that same intensity and skill on defense that Boyette has. So if I'm Chicago, I'm looking at this, all right, we got two picks in the draft. We got a young player who's coming off fresh. I'm sure they have their own vision of what uh, Coates is going to do. But the real question moving forward is, what are we doing with these draft picks? What what or what can we get or what can we do in this offseason so when we start the season next year, our team is much more of the style of play that we wanted. And something that I've always questioned with Amber Stocks is it seems to me that you are not giving yourself the personnel for the type of game that you want to play. Well, that's the interesting thing because Amber Stocks is also the GM. So she has, you know, two top four picks. So to some extent, and, and I actually wrote a piece for Excel Sports last year on the coach GM role and Michael Alter, the, the owner of the Sky, you know, he said, he said on the record, like one of the reasons he's always, because he also had Pokey as coach last GM and he, he wants the, G, the coach to also have the accountability of, you know, I pick the players and coach the players so that there can't be this finger pointing of, uh, like, oh, the GM didn't get the right personnel. Like, Amber Stocks is going to have two picks, and on a basketball team, you know, that's that, you know that's 40% potentially of your starting lineup. Like, she's going to get to kind of decide right now. Like, are they going to double down on their guard play and, and, and try to get more athletic and versatile and, and really run the floor? Um, or are they going to try to add size and, and try to get more of players that can really operate in a half court? Um, and I hope it's the former, personally. 
Well, jumping into the X's and O's, I know you remarked to me a few times that their half-court game just confused you. Well, it, it's not – the like I said, the X's and O's actually impressed me. I liked a lot of the actions. They ran some really good flare action um, with Dolson to get to get Allie Quigley open for three. I like a lot of their side pick-and-roll actions. So what I'm confused more about is, like I said, personnel, right? Like – they were ninth and half court offense, and I don't think it, it was a coaching issue. I just think that when the game slows down and and Vandersloot isn't able to push the ball as much, um, w- w- what are they trying to do in the half court? You know, we know they can shoot it, but if you're cold, you need other things to go to, and so that's where it gets back to what you said of like, should Dolson be posting up more? Because Dolson is such a good screener, they often use her on the perimeter, not just in in the pick and roll and to screen to get quickly open. And then it's hard to, for her to then in a short shot clock situation to then run down and get good post position. Um, well, that's the thing. I mean, the team has to kind of decide at a certain point, And I touched on this earlier, you know, are they going to do an in and out where they're just going to kick it down low to some of their bigs and poke it back out, which I think Dolson to some extent has the ability to do, but Dolson is not, a, Dolson doesn't have the speed to be going from, the top of the court to down low on the paint to be making plays all the time. Like that's just not a possibility. And you really, again, need to decide how you're going to use her. And when I was looking at the tape, something that I noticed is, yeah, they're using her to get a lot of motion and free up other players on the backcourt, but nobody's on, uh, nobody's down low for the rebounds. No. And again, Offensive rebounds make championships. I mean, I think she also could operate really well out of the elbow area. Like Stephanie Dolson is a great passer. That's something I saw in the film. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, in, in a way that maybe, maybe it, it's not a pretty answer. But as a coach myself, maybe this team really just has to have two different identities in the half court and in transition. You know, and, and it makes it more complicated, especially with a young head coach. But um, you know, maybe they can really run some high-low actions with Coates. Um, there's certainly teams where they could pick apart, right? If they think, of, imagine them throwing the ball to Dolson at the elbow with Coates posting up down low, and then uh, and then you have action off the ball, to, you know, pin down screen maybe for Quigley on the weak side to occupy defenders. Um, th- there's a lot they could do. You know, I think that. As much as we're posing a lot of questions, I think the good news if you're a Sky fan is there, the fact that there are so many questions means that there are also a lot of possibilities, right? Like even if it's for 10 minutes a game, they could run out Dolson and Coates and, and, and give some teams some problems if you have three shooters around them. Because remember, Dolson can also shoot two. So essentially you'd be surrounding Coates with four shooters. Now, do I think that would work maybe against a Sylvia Fowles or a Griner? No, but I think there are teams that could really give some problems. Well, so that's what I was going to ask is, and it kind of boils back down to if we feel that Coates can can be this type of player, but can she handle the one-on-one against, you know, starting center in this league while you have those four shooters? Now, that's what it boils down to, I think, if you're going to run that. And like you said, I don't think she can handle... Sylvia, um, I think there's a lot to be said as far as being able to be so dominant at the college level and coming into the W and kind of having a learning curve. And we saw that with Brittany Griner, and a lot of people don't say that. But when she go look at her stats when she goes up against top tier centers, 
she does not perform that well. She blows other centers out of the water, but she has that struggle going against top tier players. And that's a whole nother podcast. But but for Coates, I mean, I think that's something to be said. Like she needs, she's going to need to have strength and power down low. And can she have that against a bigger player? Right. And then again, why I'm saying there's questions is another solution they could do to their half court struggles. Like I said, they were ninth in the half court, seventh overall in offense is just playing small ball, right? They were second in transition offense. And I noticed they take a lot, they took a lot of mid range shots, uh, you know, Breland, Young, but those players are gone now. So another direction they can go to is just put put five shooters out there. You know, put spread the floor, play five out. Uh, Dolson can be one of them because she can shoot the three. And just really spread the floor. Uh, let Vandersloot or Copper um, attack and, you know, draw two and, and, kick, and kick the ball out. And depending on who they take in the draft, um, they can just add personnel that would help in that style of play. Um, someone who I think really, really will help this team because you mentioned the draft is Gabby Williams. Like I think I think she so- can solve a lot of these questions because she's kind of a tweener, right? I can see her. She's a player that can is so athletic, can run the floor, will be great in transition, is a great passer. Um, she'll be able to work well with the bigs and the guards. I can see her as someone who can succeed as kind of a small forward with a lot of different styles. So I think maybe adding her will solve a lot of this. I see like Chicago has some upside in the paint. They have some upside in the backcourt. But I think really we've kind of the elephant in the room is the reason we're asking so much about how do the guards work with the bigs is because of deficiencies at the wing position that kind of kind of make it all come together. Does that make sense? It's. I, I always find myself saying I couldn't agree more. I agree with you. I think there's even on a different level, there's so many things that this team does that they have these really high highs and then they have these really low lows. For instance, the sky, they take, they blew out the links last year. A lot of people don't remember that. I remember, uh, I was sitting at a train station in New Jersey watching the game on my phone, thinking that like there must've been something wrong with the app because the sky were really struggling and they blew out the top talent in the league. This team has so much upside, but then they leave you scratching your head and I think pointing at the wing position, as far as I've looked at it, and you've clearly looked at it, there's a lot of question marks there as far as, I don't think that there's a, a defined direction of, where, of what they're trying to do in that position. And not saying that they need to make a free agent signing or whatnot, but just something to keep in mind is, I mean, you're looking at the, at the salary cap of them. They got, they got room to move. So like, don't put a don't put a move past them. Well, I, I yeah, they have a lot of salary cap. I mean, I think they just need to add um, athleticism at the wing, someone that can continue to space the floor. Um, Gabby, uh, again, I think Gabby Williams solves a lot of her problem their problems because, she, like like we said, they they kind of have personnel that are they have talented personnel, but personnel that. Um, some of their personnel are really half-court-oriented players. Some are really transition-push players. They don't have a lot of great two-way players. I think that that's a lot of their problem, even defensively. like Their backcourt can be attacked one-on-one. Gabby Williams is someone who's a two-way player that can fit any style of play. 
Now, I honestly think Gabby Williams should be selected second overall. I mean, uh, hopefully she's there for Chicago. I think most of the draft boards have her going third with Asia Wilson going first and then Indiana taking a guard because like we talked about last week, Indiana kind of needs like a face of the franchise, which could be a Kelsey Mitchell or Diamond to Shields. But uh, yeah, to me, Gabby Williams is the second best prospect in the draft. <clears throat> well, well let's, let's talk about draft real quick. Let's put yourself in the shoes of coach and GM Amber Stocks. There's, there was talk about it. We, we've chatted about it a lot in the podcast. You know, Bill Ambeer possibly trying to do some trades with Chicago and whatnot. Forget what Bill's saying. If you're, the G, if you're Amber Stocks, you're sitting there and you're looking at the roster they have now, what you've, you've looked at the tapes, the X's and O's from last year, looking forward, and how we know she wants to play that style of offense of pushing the pace, transition, ball. Do you think that it's better in this specific draft to go for two top five picks versus the number one? Uh, I mean, I think Asia Wilson would be such a nice um, pick and roll partner to Vanderslut and Quigley, but I think overall this draft has so much talent. You got to take the two picks. I think if they can get Gabby Williams and then another elite guard, which they can, you know, unless Gabby. Unless Indiana has a change of heart and, and takes Gabby Williams second, but if they can get Gabby Williams into Shields or Gabby Williams and Kelsey Mitchell, or even I, I really like Lexi Brown out of Duke, um, I think it just gives them more upside. Um, you know, I, I don't think they're one piece away in terms of an Asia Wilson. I think they're two pieces away, two to three. So I think having two is great. And then you still have a lot of trade ammo, right? Because um, you get two. Two more elite prospects with Coates and Dolson, and I feel like there's a there's a trade somewhere in there as well. Um, and that's why I think, like to some extent, there's a limit to how much we can analyze them because this roster is going to look so different in April. Yeah. What do you think, though? Would you consider you know trying to make a play for the number one pick? To me, hell no. Hell no. Because if you're, it kind of boils down to what you're saying. I don't think that there's necessarily one player in this draft that jumps out and makes me say this player is going to make this team a championship contender. I think they're they're one to three players away. Now it's you're basically saying, okay, is there one player that is one of those one to three players or do we go for two top talents and then possibly fill two of those positions? If I'm the sky, you have, you have a good amount of vet presence on the roster. You like we talked about having open spot, open space in the, on the the cap. So like, if they really wanted, and and we've we've personally talked about Pondexter possibly coming back there just because of roster on on Sparks and other teams doesn't necessarily make sense. But if I'm the sky, I'm using that. I'm building, and I'm finding two players. I mean, this this draft is so deep. I mean, imagine imagine uh, Gabby Williams on this team along with DeShields. Like, just for a couple seconds here, imagine that's the roster. You have the roster they got now, and then you add those two top talents. I think they make an immediate impact and take this team to a definite playoff playoff team. Now, not necessarily, you know, a, a championship contender, but somebody that once those players get some get some time under their belt, if they if they grow like a lot of people are expecting, they definitely can be putting this team on a championship competition caliber. 
Yeah, I mean, imagine a lineup where you have Diamond to Shields, Courtney Vandersloot, Allie Quigley, Gabby Williams, and Stephanie Dolson. I mean, that team is going to be able to get out, run, shoot. Williams provides more athleticism defensively. Um, I think the Shields, you know, the, the thing is like with Vandersloot and Quigley, it, it limits what they can do defensively. Now you add some players that can actually provide some more ball pressure. And, you know, the more I think about it, what I would like, I would go to coach, you know, if I was coach Stocks, I would go to her and say, you're going to be the anchor of our second unit. You're going to come out there. You're going to be the featured player. You're going to come out, play 15 to 25 minutes a game. We're going to throw you the ball and we're going to play slow when you're out there. You know, I feel like that's a way they could go. Really give Colts this kind of featured role in the second unit where she gets to go out there, get six to eight post touches, get up her shots, slow the game down. But I think with our starting five, I think they need to just get get athletes, keep running. It's just such it was such a strength for them last year. And and teams really had to think about that. Like when you're game playing from Chicago, it's like, man, they have all these shooters. They push the ball. How do we contain them? Well, that's a great point because if you think about it, if you're standing there and you're saying Coates is, is the anchor of your second team, you know that's saying some good stuff as far as like the confidence you have in your first team. And, and I'm not saying like she's not good enough to be the starter. Again, I'm saying we have a lot of teams in this league and the top teams in this league have proven this. You have players coming off the bench that have top talent and could be starters, but you're doing what's better for the team. And you've seen that trend kind of take over. And I think you really see it morph and kind of control the mindset of a team. And that's the mindset you have if you're a champion. Absolutely. And, um, and then they, and they can, they can start them together. They, you know, they, they could really take advantage of matchups um, too. You know, they, they can mess around with other teams, right? If the other team goes small, then maybe you put in Coates and Dolson. Then if, if they go big, you sub them out really quickly and put in another shooter. And I feel like, again, the, even though there are, like we said, we're raising questions, but the positive is they can kind of, if they draft well, they can have the flexibility finally to really dictate tempo to other teams. Yeah. I mean, and the tempo is so key to their style of play. If you watch tape on them, when their tempo gets disrupted, that was the thing that kind of threw their wheel off course. Absolutely. And I think we've talked a lot about the bigs, but then if you can add a DeShields or a Mitchell, that gives them just... I think some of their half-court problems, too, boil down to at the professional level when you're playing top defenses, sometimes you do, you do need someone to just get you a bucket. And while Cappy Pondexter provided a little bit of that element, I mean, at this stage in her career, you can't rely on her to be your, like, number one scoring option in the half-court. And I think, you know, depending on which guard they take, you know, they, they can potentially now have somebody who – Hey, if we need a bucket in the half court and our sets aren't working, just get to the rim. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I agree. Um, but so let, let's, you know, every week we, we focus on a fan question. We pick it out. Uh, we, we reach out to the fans and we say, hey, shoot us some questions. Um, I had a few that came in and a lot of them we covered. A lot of fans want to know 
the style of offense that they're running. And I think we said that there's a lot of question marks there because they have an ability to run a multiple different styles, but they definitely like the fast pace and transition ball. So how they can get these athletes or these players to, to truly play that style of play is going to be the big question of 2018 for this team. Another question that's coming in from Charles A. Smith um, talked about the sky management and how that's doing it. So what my thought is, as far as the sky management is, if you're a, if you're Amber Stocks or if you're the owner of the team and, and you have two picks in this draft, you got to think that it is a huge blow to the gut if you don't see a, a, a huge increase as far as last, last year to this year. So, so if that's, if to me, the management style, if they don't make good on these two picks or make a huge improvement, then Amber Stock's job is definitely in question. And I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, Eli, I know you wanted to go over a few questions. Uh, why don't you drop the, the questions and give a shout out to who asked them? Well, I don't, let me take, I want to weigh in too on yeah. Charles Smith. I mean, I, I don't know. I'll actually disagree with you on that one. Um, I, I don't think her job's, I mean, it's her second year, and last year they had complete roster overhaul. It was their first year without Elena Deladon. I think what Charles Smith is getting is, what do you make of the management in terms of – and I think we got to weigh in because you've always said your mission is to just keep it real. I mean, he, he asked, like, what do you make of the management? And I think, you know, whether it be Fowles or Boyette or, or Deladon, for various reasons kind of – you know, they've traded a lot of stars. And – I will, I will say, to their credit, they have done well at getting good return on the trades. I thought in the Elena Deladon trade, to come away with the number two pick in the draft and Dolson, I mean, that's as good as a package as you're going to get when you had no leverage. I mean, she said, I'm going to sit out the season if you don't trade me. Then to get essentially, you know, to get Dolson and the number two pick in addition to – they got some other stuff as well, but that, that was the headline. I mean, they did very well in the trade. And I thought to get a first-round pick for for Imani, at, again, at the time, a lot of people I think said, oh, Atlanta won the trade. I think times I – think, I think Chicago won that trade now that we've had time to let it sit. I just think whoever they take with that extra pick they got is just – the upside of a Diamond to Shields or a Kelsey Mitchell, you know, I think is just higher overall. Well, it could legitimately change their team. Right. Like, I, do I think Amani Boyette is a good player who can help Atlanta? Yes. But would I rather have a lottery pick? To be honest, I think Chicago won that trade as an analyst. So I'm giving management some credit. Um, I don't know who's ultimately constructing the trades. You know, what was it when there was Pokey and now Amber versus how involved ownership is when it comes to making those deals? So, again, giving credit where credit's due, they have netted good return in these trades. But I think some fans are wondering, you know, why are they trading these players in the first place? I mean, uh, you had Elena Deladon, who is, you know, arguably just on paper the best player in the WNBA, you know, just in terms of tools. I'm not yeah. saying she is the best player. You know, Sylvia Fowles won the MVP. And... There's a lot of other talents, but there's no, 
you know, she there's no player in the WNBA, maybe other than Candace Parker, that's as versatile in terms of a star. So I think that, that I mean, what's your take there? Because I think Charles Smith does raise a fair question just about management and, and trades and kind of all this turnover we've seen in the last few years. Again, there's there's been a lot of turnover, and even before the Elena Deldon, I mean, if you look at their roster of when they went to the finals, it, it was absurd. They had Sylvia, they had Elena Deldon, they had um, a few players who moved on to uh, to LA, to New York. I mean, the roster was ridiculous, and the fact that you can't make it work with that, I at I think you can make excuses and you can say, oh well. You know, just because you have so much talent doesn't mean that it's going to work so well. But I agree with you. There's a huge question mark as far as when you have that many athletes who are saying, we want out of here. Now, I think there's an element of it that has to do with the fact that, you know, they're not directly associated with an NBA team. So they don't necessarily have all the same style of facilities and medical things that other teams have. That's changed, thank God, due to new partnerships they just recently signed. But there's definitely been some some questions as far as the management's ability to put the players and the I don't to to really put out a product that can win a championship and to fully back it. And it starts with and I, I'm not pointing fingers, but I'm I think this starts with everything. It starts at the top and it works its way down. So it starts with the owner, and then it goes to the president of operations, and then you know the the GM and the head coach and then the assistant coaches and the trainers and that's going to shape the mentality of the players and I think you see it in some teams I know we've spoken about it I see that a lot in the links and I see the mindset in Connecticut had changed you've told me how you see that in LA we're starting to see that in Atlanta with you know the Connecticut offspring or you know coach Nikki going down there and kind of taking that man same mentality um I think that's really the biggest question is, is can this team and the management get together and figure out a way moving forward that they have one mission and that mission needs to be a championship and working together towards that goal? Yeah. And like, I, you know, I, I remember Fowles on the Around the Rim podcast of Latrina Robinson definitely had said like, she, in a politically correct way, she had kind of said when she got to Minnesota, she just saw like, a, an organizational synergy she hadn't seen before. And um, again, like I said, I, I'm not so pessimistic because they've done well in trades, but I mean, this team could have Elena Deladon and Fowles right now. You know what I mean? And for as much as we want to talk about Coates and Dolson, I think anyone in the world would take Deladon and Fowles over whatever they have now, right? So, oh, hell yeah. It just seems like, I don't know, there's a story there on Della Don that maybe we'll never get fully told. Um, I hope it does. I hope, you know, uh, maybe, hey, if, if, if you're listening, if anyone out there is listening, I, we, we'd love to have you on the podcast to really get to the bottom of it. But um, I just feel like every last, like, shred of possibility should have been, like, tried or to keep her on the team, you know? It's just, it's a generational talent that was lost, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and when you lose that, you know, especially because it's one thing if, you know, they drafted her and then there was some issues and she left like after one season or so, but 
the fan base had was just teased with with having that generational talent in with them for a few years um and then to just be ripped away and i know she loved the fan base so and the fan base loved her and it's it's got to be tough if you're a chicago sky fan to constantly see such amazing you know generational talents go through and then continue to excel and it's not like you know the herschel walker trade where where uh, one team goes, oh yeah, we, this is kind of uh, this person's not getting any better. They're only going down from here. It's you know, EDD still has a lot left in the tank. Sylvia Fowles still has a lot left in the tank. Um, the sky, the sky show shy at the sky show shy asked two questions. One, she asked, what should the sky do with the picks? I think we addressed that. We like Gabby Williams and then um, the best guard available. And I'm counting to Shields kind of as a guard. You know, she, she's a little bit – she can play the wing, but she's a ball handler. So I think DeShields and Williams would be my targets. But if, if they're off the board, I personally like Lexi Brown, um, Kelsey Mitchell. And then what style of play should this core of Sloot, Quiggs, Dolson develop into? She asked, should it be three-point shooting from all positions of Sloot handling the ball? I think so. I think they were second in transition. I think that style forces other teams – to game plan for them. And then I think you have Coates kind of anchor the second unit that brings a little bit of a different look. And then when they play some of the bigger teams, at least now they, they can th- play two bigs, um, you know, against Minnesota and whatnot when they need to. But I think their overall um, best strategy. We kind of already answered that, but I did want to give a shout out um, um, for asking the questions. Um, you got anything else on that? Wow. I mean, we definitely went long on Chicago, but I think we've just said, like, man, if there's one team that just has so many questions, this was the team we knew we would just – like, there's so much more we haven't even hit on. But it's just – I think this, for me, is the team with the most questions in the WNBA right now. And, again, when we say questions, folks, we're not saying that in a negative way. A lot of times people try and sugarcoat their wording, and when they say, oh, there's a lot of questions as to if that person can do – no. We're saying, like, we'll call it out. If we think you're crap, you're crap. But we're saying is this team has so much skill on the roster and so much ability. There's questions as how you can use that ability to put the best product out there, to put up the most points, to play the best defense. And there's there's just so many possibilities with this team. Um, that's great. Thanks, uh, Sky Show, for that one. You know, we've chatted with you online many times. So moving on to the LA Sparks, the second team we're going to cover. Now, as everybody knows, WNBA fans are no are no uh, newbies to the LA Sparks. They are a team that struggled for a while, couldn't make it, couldn't make a real push in the playoffs, but with top talent of of Candace Parker and others. But then two years ago, finally make that jump. They're able with the new playoff format. They're able to make it to the finals. They take on the Minnesota Lynx. They go to game five and they win. All right. They have some turnover. They come into the season. They're trying to work in the new players that they have on their team. They're trying to make, you know, the new lineups work. They struggle early on. But at the second half of the season, they just hit hit a gear that even the Lynx and no really no other team in the league was on, looking beyond scary. And... To me, the biggest, the the elephant in the room, the question is, you know, your team in, in many ways got better than it was when you won the finals. You went to game five again. Now, obviously, you can you can argue, okay, 
we were one play or we were one quarter, one drive away from winning that game. We were one game away. But I think you have to ask yourself, the team got better after a championship win and then you lose the following year. What can you do? What's your next step coming into this season? Well, I, I, I don't think they really need to do too much. I mean, they were one game away from winning back-to-back titles. Um, you know, this was a – they were right there with Minnesota, you know. I think they were, you know, second in offensive and defensive rating. They were first in offense in terms of points per possession. So, the, you know, I, look, like they, it was two five-game series, and I think they're right there. Like there's a, there's a clear top two in the WNBA, and, you know, I expect those teams to meet again for part three. And so um, the short answer is they just need to keep playing. Yeah, I hear that. I mean, I still think that as a whole, it, it definitely raises questions to me in my mind. I mean, yeah. All right, you take the two series and we're tied 5-5. That's great. Um, to me, can we figure out a way that you can start making some more three balls? We saw – I mean, in some ways, do you think – we? Talk, I know you talked to Cheryl about this after the game, about how, how many threes that you were just – that the Lynx just let the Sparks have. Do you think that that's something moving forward that they try and – they try and shore up, and I know they have three-point shooters, but they just shot abysmal in the playoffs. Yeah, well, I asked Coach Reeve after game three in the finals, um, kind of – or no, so, sorry, game four, if it was actually their strategy because the Sparks went really cold from the from the perimeter. And um, I think ultimately it was the rebounding of Minnesota and the lack of – three-point shooting from LA that kind of tipped that series to Minnesota. She claimed, I mean, she said they would never just allow open shots um, was what she told me. So I can't sit here and say that was a strategy in Minnesota, but it definitely felt like a weakness. Um, I think, you know, they were fifth in percentage last year. So it's not like they were last in the league and it's like a huge hole. But I think when you go up against, like when you go up against Minnesota, that's the thing, like the size LA has starting neck on Candace is somewhat neutralized against Minnesota um, with Brunson and Bowles. And so I think the advantage LA actually has in that matchup specifically is getting out in transition and shooting and trying to force Brunson and Bowles to guard the perimeter. And I think ultimately, like Chelsea Gray led the league in three-point shooting, but they're kind of inconsistent after that, right? Candace can knock it down, but it may not be her her top asset in her game. Um, Neca and Beard are definitely more comfortable from the mid-range than from three. Odyssey Sims is not a great three-point shooter. She did get hot in the playoffs and hit some really big threes, but overall, uh, mechanically, and just her overall percentage for the year, that's definitely not her game. So... I do think like they're a team that in that matchup, Minnesota can kind of pack it in to try to, you know, stop Sims from getting to the rim and stop some of the post game. And I don't know if they have, I I think that that is a legitimate weakness to call out of, is there enough three point shooting to make Minnesota pay for kind of packing in the pain and crashing the glass on them? Well, that was something that, we saw both teams talk about after the, the, I'll call it round one, the first final series that they faced off in. 
the team, the Lynx moving forward after losing that series said, we need to start hitting more three-point shots if we want to compete with them. And then you saw the next year, the Lynx had a better three-point shooting percentage than they did the year before, but also they beat the Sparks with using the three-point ball as a weakness of, of the Sparks, but also as a strength of the Minnesota Lynx. Um, if I'm standing there and I'm thinking to myself, what can we do to do better? I saw a lot of times, you know, we talk about this. Obviously, the Sparks and the Lynx are not saying, all right, we're building our team just to play each other because you have 10 other teams in the league that you need to be prepared for because they are getting better day in and day out. But I will say, if I'm the Sparks, we've been having this debate since last season. If I'm the Sparks, you need to start using your bench players more. They have talent, and if you don't give them minutes, and then you bring them in in when you finally have a deep playoff series and you bring them in for a couple minutes and they mess up and you don't have that confidence and you pull them, that doesn't give the benefit of having skilled bench players to your starters. Yeah, one player I'm really hoping plays a bigger role this year is Sydney Weiss. Uh, she shot 40% at Oregon State in three seasons um, from three. And being live at the Staples Center last year for the playoffs, I watched her in warm-ups. And, I mean, she's a lights-out shooter. And she has, you know, um, I, I'm sure defensively maybe there's some question marks which limited her playing time and, and the trust to put her out there in the playoffs. Um, but she's got some height. I feel like she's somebody who can get her shot off against a lot of guards. And just all the attention that Chelsea Gray and Odyssey Sims and Candace Parker and Neca draw, I feel like they definitely could get her open. You know, Agler is one of the best in terms of drawing up sets. And um, I think she kind of, like we've said, the, the Sparks don't have a lot of salary cap room. I don't see them adding somebody, you know, other than a rookie which may not get much minutes regardless. I think she's the one person when I look up and down their roster who can give them that, that, that dynamic that they're missing. Yeah, I, I agree. She, I mean, I, every time I think of her, I think of that first game where she kind of said, hey, I'm in the WNBA. And she dropped like, I think she hit like three threes in a row or she dropped 12 points. It was something crazy where she was just could not miss. I mean, I was expecting her to do a heat check and I don't think she even... I don't think she ever got checked on it. Um, but I'm looking at something that kind of brings question to this. You have NECA who can shoot. You have Candace who can shoot. But something that was a huge weakness for this team when you're talking finals and just in general, when this team failed, it was always associated in my mind with a lack of offensive rebounds. Fair enough. I the thing is, as a coach, offensive rebounding is something that um, really is it, – it's a philosophy thing. And I, actually, I asked Agler about it in the finals. Um, some teams choose to crash the boards. Some teams prefer to get back in transition because think about it for, for, for kind of the casual fan who might be listening to this. If you send three or four players – if you put up a shot – okay, so just I'll walk it through. Let's say, let's say Chelsea Gray puts up a shot. You know, if you send NECA, Candace, um, Elena Beard to the offensive glass, if you don't get the rebound, that means that you have three players under the basket and the other team can just push the ball down the court and get into their transition game. So a lot of coaches actually prefer to 
just tell everyone to get back on defense. Get back on D, set up our defense. We're going to prevent the other team from getting in transition. So I think it really is a philosophical thing that there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer. Um, so I, I, I'm just bringing that up to say that them not getting offensive rebounds could be more a function of style than inability, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then, again, this is a debate that we often have because to me at a certain point, though, when these other teams are just – they're getting so many – so many, to me it's just you're missing out on points when you have – you know, NECA and Candace, two players that can dominate, but it's kind of like with NECA, I see it very much so that you have a player who's so skilled and versatile, you know, how are you going to use her when you're playing against these other players? So something that I think we should be looking at as far as how the Sparks can win the championship next year, I, I, I don't want to, you know, kind of hearing what you're saying. I don't want to start saying get over the hump or play better because they were playing top level basketball. So to, to win the finals next year, I think something that we got to start talking about is Elena Beard was a liability on offense at times. And back to using the bench. If, you're, if you have someone, we all know that she is a top-tier defender. I mean, she won, she won the award last year. She's arguably the best defender in the league. She shut down Maya Moore a few times in mind-blowing fashion. My thought is start using her on the bench. You know, start her, pull her real quick, get her on the bench. What, what do you think about that? I mean, using using some different lineups as far as this team. I know you heavily focused on this team last year, and you spoke slightly about getting Raquana Williams out there a little bit more also. Yeah. Well, just to close out on the rebounding, um, my opinion is that the issue – they were 11th in offensive rebounds, so I really think looking at that, reading between the lines, they're not trying to get many offensive rebounds. I think they'd probably yeah. say, okay, NECA, if you can grab it, great, but we just want to get back on D. I think the bigger issue against Minnesota is giving up offensive rebounds. You know what I mean? They don't need to get a ton. They need to prevent Minnesota from doing that. But to your, to your question um, – yeah, I know we kind of t- debated this last year, and I know you felt Agler should have been playing more players and a bigger rotation. I think it's hard, in his defense, it's hard when you're in a win-now mode. You know, this team is, their title window is now, and they have five really quality starters. And it's hard to, to play, you know, when you trust all five starters, it's kind of hard when you're trying to win titles now There's to put someone out there that you're just not sure about. Now, where I would agree with you is I think in the regular season, they need to play Weiss and, and other players more just to see what they have so that when they get to the finals, when they get to the playoffs, they know kind of what they have. Now, Raquana Williams, she was injured a lot. So to be fair, maybe maybe she just wasn't 100% or maybe because she missed so much time when they were going on that run, maybe Agler felt like, you know, maybe – she didn't fit into what they had been doing in the second half of the season. Um, one thing I think I would like to see against Minnesota is maybe staggering the minutes a bit more so that I feel like there's a world where four of the five starters can always be out there. So rather than bringing in Carson and Lavender together or Carson, Lavender, and Williams, maybe you sub out Elena Beard early or you sub out Sims early. And so you always, if you can have four of the five starters always on the court, so maybe you have Lavender, Williams, and Carson. 
you have them playing one at a time with four starters. Um, maybe there's something they can they can play. I think they can play with the rotations. But like we said, from a cap situation, I don't see them getting anybody that's going to like play a huge role other than it being Weiss or somebody they already have kind of stepping up in the regular season and proving to the coaching staff that they deserve a role in the playoffs. If Candace Parker, I just have this vision of Candace Parker driving to the paint, just basically pulling the whole defense in on her and then kicking out to Weiss and it's just lights out, bing, 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 and they're up by like 20. And it could happen so quick. It just takes a little bit of confidence in the young player. Yeah, I, I mean, look, it's a fair criticism. No coach is perfect, and I think if there's something you want to point to um, that that is, you know, I'm not going to say I, – I would agree that's a fair criticism. I would just say that, you know, uh, the Sparks won a championship, and I think Agler is a top two coach in the league and one of the best coaches, you know, in basketball, period, not just women's basketball. So um, – I, th- I guess I just I give them the benefit of the doubt, but I think it is fair. I, I, I do. They definitely lacked. They needed one more guard last year. I think it was just clear to me they needed one more guard. They and again, if you want to defend them, you could say Raquana Williams was hurt. She never really got back to that level, and she would have been that guard. But I didn't really see it. I I don't know. She like there's something about her, her game that doesn't quite fit. Like she takes a lot of ill-advised shots defensively. She definitely can pressure the ball, and I thought she gave some quality minutes defensively. Um, but I still think even with her healthy, they just lack one more guard. And um, it, maybe that's Weiss. Maybe that's a rookie. You know, I think there is a lot of depth at the guard position in this draft. So that's another thing. Even though they don't have a top pick, um, it, maybe that guard is sitting there for them at the end of the first round. Well, that's what I was just about to ask you. Is, is that where you see this team going for a guard pick? I mean, at a certain point, I mean, I find it hard. You, you uh, The Lynx have a similar problem. A lot of teams have these problems when you have a star like Candace Parker or whatever. Obviously, she's got some more years left in her. But at a certain point, I mean, do you think it's too early to start saying, okay, you need to start grooming someone to come in behind her? I think they need to pick someone who's going to help them as soon as possible. They're in a win-now mode. You know, they should get back to the finals this year. They have the 11th pick in the draft. I mean, it's tough. You kind of just have to take the best available at that point. Um, now, I, like I said, right now in some mock drafts, you see Jordan Canada and Lexi Brown, two really good guards out of UCLA and Duke. Um, but I, I don't know if they'll still be available at 11. You know, it's going to be tough. I, I think they might be off the table at that point. So... I think they're a bit – their hands are tied because they don't – picking 11th, they, they're just not – they're going to maybe just have to take who's left at that point. I feel like this draft is really strong, like 1 to 9, 1 to 10, and then it drops off a little bit. They don't have the cap room unless, unless someone like Happy Pondexter says, hey, I'm willing to play for the veteran minimum because I want to live in L.A. and I want to help you. Um, so I think barring that – they're just going to have to really hope Weiss is good enough defensively to earn some more minutes. And, hey, at the end of the day, they're a few possessions away from back-to-back titles. So we also have to take a step back and say we are nitpicking a bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you're at the top teams, I think you got to nitpick. Um, so looking, I'm looking at a few fan questions, and one of them just kind of popped out at me from 
Jake DeBacher, uh, yeah, Jake DeBacher, um, with the lack of cap room and recent success that this team has had, is this team set? Now, I think that's a really interesting question because looking at this roster, I mean, if I'm a Sparks fan and I'm looking at it, I'm thinking to myself, Raquana Williams, uh, Janta Lavender, Neca, and Candace Parker basically have the whole cap. Now, if 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 you're not playing, I mean, do you you follow this team? It's in your backyard. Are Raquana and Chantel locks for the team, or are they possibilities on a, a draft day trade to try and move up a little bit and kind of free up some cap room so you could sign somebody, you know, maybe like a Tiffany Jackson Jones, who would be really hard to do without doing something, or you know, you get a good player in this draft that they're sold on. Right, because looking at their cap sheet, they have one, two, three, four. They have 10 players on the books now for 2018. And while we don't officially have the numbers yet on Beard and Sims, if we're assuming they're close to the max, I mean, they basically have room. I mean, they have, that, they have they need to get two players. But one of them is going to be that 11th pick. Um, I just don't see – there's no one they can add – I ultimately feel like they'll just have to sign their picks, you know, their 11th pick, and then in the second round, their 23rd pick to make the money work. Um, you know, who would they really get? Like, like I hear what you're saying of, like, try to be creative, try to make a trade, but, I mean, who? I just don't see any of those players having much value to another team. I don't know. Look at somebody like – I could definitely see Raquana Williams or Jantel. Uh, all right. Not with the current moves, but like before the free agency moves, I wouldn't have been surprised. You know, a little trade and sign or something like that with Los uh, with Las Vegas. Um, what a player! I think well, Jan- Jantel Lavender signed through twenty twenty. So yeah. I mean, I, I just don't what a team. That's a lot of money to put on your books. Yeah, you know, for another team, she's getting max money and is signed for three more years. So to trade her, you'd have to take back somebody you'd have to absorb equal salary. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just feel like I, I like for another team to take on max money like that for someone who comes off the bench, that's what I'm saying. It's not that – let me be very clear. It's not that those players aren't talented players. I'm just saying from a book standpoint, I don't see the upside for another team to take on that much money for someone who's playing a backup role right now. Oh, yeah. And I think they need her because NECA and Candace get into foul trouble and – I mean, she's a legitimate third big. Uh, I think they need to keep her. I mean, the, a real thought for the Sparks, and, and we're kind of wrapping up here now, folks, but a real thought for the Sparks is, I think it, it, it needs to be said, and, and obviously you might disagree, they need to entertain that idea of possibly making some moves because, again, I mean, we don't know the contract of Odyssey Sims or Elena Beard, but just looking at the books right now, even with them, even like not knowing how much their roster is going to affect the cap, they barely have any room to sign anybody. Right. And just Raquana Williams is also making basically max money. So I, I see her as a movable because, no, you know, who's going to trade for a max player that hasn't been healthy? I mean, so 
again, look, the Sparks doubled. But but she's the one-year contract, so that, that makes it a little bit different than Gentile. Oh, yeah, that's true. That does make it attractive because that means it would be coming off your books. Yeah, I mean, at the trade deadline, she could be an interesting piece if a team wants to kind of take a flyer on her knowing she'll come off the books. Um, I, but I don't know. Looking at their cap sheet, I think they basically have – you know, seven to eight max players that they feel are good enough to make them win the title. And I think they just need to draft really strategically here and see if they can, um, you know, get somebody that's going to help them. Yeah, that's the hope. I mean, especially it's it's tough for the teams that do really well because, you know, and again, this is, oh, you know, you're crying. You just were in the finals two years in a row. But it, it is tough to stay up there because you have such a talented roster and, you're getting late picks, and you know you're, it's hard to get minutes for those other players. So, if I'm the the LA Sparks and the Minnesota Lynx, I'm thinking of okay, what can we do with what we have with spending the least money? You know, kind of getting getting crafty with what you got there as far as making moves to make your team better and far better than the rest of the teams. Um, so, Eli, it's been great having you on this week. We got to dive deep into the LA Sparks and the Chicago Sky. The Sky, a team that, I mean, you and I were texting all week chatting about them just because there's so many avenues that they could go into and and breakaways and this, this, and that. And we see a lot, a lot of upside for them. The question is, again, the draft. And from the draft, are we going to get an idea of the style of offense and what they want to do as far as how they're going to handle all the talent that they have? Um, Eli, any closing thoughts for the fans of the Sky or the LA Sparks? Um, no, I mean, I think we this was great stuff. We really went deep on the Sky, a lot to think about for them. I think the Sparks, um, I expect them back to the finals and, and to be right there um, with Minnesota. Uh, maybe even have to give them a little bit of an edge with, with the Lynx losing Montgomery. So I'm excited, you know, being out here in LA. To, I'll get to see them a lot live um and yeah i mean great stuff uh who you know any final words on your end now i was just going to tell the people you know make sure to tell your friends subscribe we got some important and exciting news coming forward i know i've teased it a little bit my first game we got some more information coming shortly and uh follow us on twitter follow us on facebook instagram um but Thanks for listening, and uh, have a great day. Eli Horowitz, why don't you real quickly remind the folks, what's your handle? I'm at Coach Horowitz13. That's at Coach H-O-R-O-W-I-T-Z 13. And definitely, you know, follow both of us, subscribe. I mean, a little bit goes a long way. Like, we're trying to cover this league independently and, and provide the fans the coverage that's lacking from mainstream media sites. And the more support we get, the more we're able to do. I love it. All right, folks, that's it for the WNBA Insider Podcast. Again, it's Aria Schwartz along with Eli Horowitz. We're breaking down teams, diving deep, and we'll see you next week, guys.